Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by special guest, Bobby Conn. You may be seated. So glad you came this morning, and we're so glad to have Bobby Connor with us. Bobby's been uh, in our life as New Covenant for about 20 years, and uh, it's, it's kind of been the prophetic voice to this house, and we're so pleased and to have him. Uh, he travels the world. This theme this weekend and is just only believe, only believe. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe. And so this morning, I just want you to set your heart attuned to the Father's face and just relax and hear what God's going to be saying to us and then just take it and trust it because it's true. Would you welcome Bobby Connor with me, please? All right. Thanks, Pastor. God bless you, Daryl. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, and it is a good, good morning. I'm so happy to be alive, aren't you? Yeah. It really is. I, I don't like people that are gripey and grumpy. I'm telling you, they shouldn't be gripey and grumpy Christians. The Bible says, In His presence is fullness of joy, and His right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'll tell you what, if you don't learn to enjoy Jesus, heaven's going to be hell for you. <laughs> we, we better learn to enjoy Jesus Christ. He's the happiest man that ever lived. I, I show you in the Bible, Jesus is the happiest man that ever lived. said he was anointed with the oil of gladness far above all of his brothers. I know the Bible said he was a man acquainted with sorrow and grief. But listen, he was the happiest man ever lived. I don't like these pictures of Jesus where he looks like a Holocaust victim. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is happy. He's, he really is, and he intends for us to be happy. The, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Wow. Have you ever studied the right hand of God? The most powerful principle in the Bible is the right hand of God. That's where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. That talks about the throne of God, talks about the sovereignty of God, and you and I that are Christians are seated with him in heavenly places. Wow. Isn't that something? Say yes. Yes. So today I'm going to talk about a couple of things. and In this service we're going to talk about what to do when you don't know what to do. Then we're going to talk about what to do uh, when you don't want to do nothing. You can get in a place in your life where you don't want to do anything. You're so discouraged. You're so uh, disappointed. You want people to leave you alone. So we're going to talk to you about what to do when you don't know what to do. Now, you may be in this room and say, now, listen, listen. Brother, that is not applicable to me because I always know what to do. I got a little uh, conversation with you. Well, number one, you're an idiot. <laughs> I promise you this. God Himself will get you in a dilemma above your pay grade. God Himself will set up circumstances to show you how desperately you need Him. These people that are self-made, they think, look what I've done. Listen, we couldn't do a single thing if it wasn't for His grace. Anything good, anything godly that's ever happened in our life happened because of Him. Every good, say every good, and every perfect gift comes down from the Father. Anything good and godly we have in our life, it's a benevolent gift from God. Oh, wow. Aren't you glad? So let's talk about this. What to do when you don't know what to do. What to do when you don't want to do nothing. So number one, 
2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. There's a, a, a scene opening up there. And it's a drastic scene, a drama scene, because a king gets a report that a bunch, uh, a whole host of enemy armies have gathered together, and they're coming against Jehoshaphat, and he's the king, and they're coming against Jehoshaphat and the people of God. And here's what the report is. It said, there's a great armies coming against us, and we have no might to stand against them. We're not going to be able to win this battle on our own, and we're in big, big trouble. Wow, big trouble going on there. And so this is all Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. And so here's what Jehoshaphat the king does. He calls for all the people to get together and call what he calls a solemn assembly. He calls them there to pray and fast and seek God. And so there they are. They're praying and fasting and seeking God. But I think that the king does something I believe is brilliant. Uh, he's got all the people there. They're facing a, a dilemma that looks unsolvable. And then he begins... The king begins to rehearse. Here's what he begins to say. Got all the people there, and he begins to talk to God. Oh, God, are you not the God that drove out our enemies? Oh, God, are you not the God that did this and did that? What he was doing, he was reminding the people of how faithful God had been in the past to give them courage to face an unsure future. And that's good for each one of us. When you're facing something you, you, that looks insurmountable, look in your past how faithful God has been to you. He's never forsook you. He's never let you down. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Aren't you glad? He has constantly been faithful to us. There's not a human being that can say, well, God didn't come through. No. All of His promises are what? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes and amen. <laughs> I get so excited, I get to screaming. I get so excited, I could thread a sewing machine and it running. Now, that's pretty excited, isn't it? But anyway. So here the king is. He says, oh, are you not the God that drove away our enemies? Da, da, da. And so we get that famous verse. It's Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. See, we've got all the people there, the women, the soldiers, even it says those that nurse the breast. They're all before the God crying out, Oh, God, we need your help. Have you read in the Old Testament where it says, And they cried unto the Lord. Wow. That is one of the strongest emotional words in the universe. They cried unto the Lord. And it means they screeched and screamed in anguish and agony. Wow, intense prayer. They screamed and screeched in anguish and agony. That's what it means when it says in the Bible, and they cried unto the Lord. It doesn't mean, oh God, I mean they're, down, they're wide open seeking God. And they're there, oh God, we don't know what to do against this great multitude that's come up against us. This is Second Chronicles twenty twelve. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Wow, there's the principle. There's the proper pattern to follow when you're in facing something you don't know what to do. Remember how faithful God's been in the past. Seek Him for the situation that you're in the present. Neither know we what to do against this great multitude, but our eyes are upon you. Wow, is there any benefit to looking to Him? Yeah, the Bible said, didn't it, Psalms 121, verse 1, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made the heavens and the earth. So they're focusing on the Lord. Next verse is paramount. It says, then, T-H-E-N, then, then after, what? after he's called a solemn assembly, after he's got all the people looking to God, then the Spirit of God fell upon a prophet. And the prophet does something that is uh, never recorded in human history until then. He gives them strategy 
to fight a battle that has never been given before in the annals of human history. God loves to do new things. Isaiah 48, verse 6 says, Behold, I do a new thing. It's new today and not prior to now so that you wouldn't be blasing. Oh, I already knew that. Isaiah 48, verse 6. Say it. God does new things. You and I, most of the time, are opposed to new things. We are human and we don't like change. God wants us to learn to evolve and to change. We go from glory to glory. And so anyway, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Then the Spirit of God fell upon the prophet. And here's what the prophet says. You'll not need to fight in this battle. Send out the singers instead of the soldiers. If I'd have been in the meeting, I'd raise my hand and said, Second opinion. <laughs> See, this is a real war. Whoever wins, wins the whole, the whole thing. Whoever wins takes over everything. And this, look it up. You can study it in human history. Never had there been a strategy like that to send out the singers. I'd have been one the Navy SEALs, the Marines. I'd have been one of the, uh, I'd want the elite of the elite, wouldn't you? But the prophet says, God's going to do a new thing. Send out the singers. And then we get to that verse you remember, Second Chronicles twenty twenty. Second Chronicles twenty twenty. Jehoshaphat stands, and here's what he says: Trust the Lord, and you'll be established. Believe His prophets, and you will prosper. That's a still a word for us today. Trust the Lord, you will be established. You'll be on firm footing, and believe His prophets, and you will prosper. The word prosper there is a Hebrew word that means live at God's highest point level for your life. So there he is, Second Chronicles twenty twenty. Trust the Lord, you'll be established. Believe his prophets, and you'll prosper. So he said, "Let's do what the prophet said. Let's send out the singers." And the singers go out. There's armies there. I mean, hostile armies. He said, "Go out. They're coming up the cliffs of Zin there." And he said, uh, "Go out and confront them, but send the singers." Here goes the singers. Soldiers are behind, and the singers begin to praise God and sing. And it says in your Bible. God set an ambushment. I looked up that Hebrew word ambushment. It's a, uh, it's, it has so many variegated ways. I don't know how to describe it, but oh God, it works. <laughs> when he set this ambushment, the Bible says these enemy alien soldiers jerked out their weapons and went nuts and started killing one another, killed every one of them and then killed themselves. God's people never broke a sweat. Our God is an awesome. Yeah. They're over there just rocking out, man. And the enemy tore themselves apart, killed every last one of them. And it took the people of God three days to pick up the bounty and the spoils from the war. And they never had to do anything but keep their praise towards God. Wow. The Bible said you don't need to fight in this battle. It's not yours. It's the Lord's. I tell you what, aren't you glad God never loses a battle? Yeah, he, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's, he's very victorious. And aren't you glad when our Savior strung himself upon a cross and cried out, It's finished! Aren't you glad he didn't say, I'm finished? He used a farming term when he said, It's finished. He used a term that says, Everything that should have been done is totally done. Nothing's left undone that needed to be done. The things that Christ has done for us is totally complete. Have you ever found a verse that baffles you? I found a bunch of them. But in it, Second it, uh, Chronicles chapter two, verse nine, verse uh, nine says, "All that God is, the whole totality of what God is, is in Christ." You say, well, "I believe that." It's the next verse that baffles me. 
Second, uh, uh, Colossians 2.10. That verse says, All that Christ is, is in us. Wow. I want you to start believing that. Everything God is, is totally revealed in Christ, and then everything Christ is, is in you. Say equipped. Say it again, equipped. God has equipped us. We're thoroughly furnished unto every good work, the Bible says. Wow. You know what the Lord told me, and I'm going to tell you because you'll benefit from it. He said, Bobby, go where I tell you to go. Do what I tell you to do when you get there. I'll give the people, whether they want it or not, an impartation from Hebrews. Uh, and I said, Lord, how can I tell them you're going to, they can get anointing whether they want it or not? And he said, you can get around somebody that's contagious and you can be infected. So you're going to get an anointing to, today from Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says this, Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the everlasting, never-failing covenant, make you perfect, give you everything you need to accomplish the task you've been sent to do. Wow. Wow. I looked up a little phrase, make you perfect, means missing no component. Wow. Everything you need, through Christ you have. Wow. Isn't that good? I'm so tired of us feeling insufficient. You know what that is? That's self-centeredness. And that's a sin. See, what you've got to understand is you can't do it on your own, but through Him, by Him, in Him, you're unstoppable. They had to come up with a new word about you. It's Romans 8, 37. Romans 8, 37 said, Yet amid all these things, all of these things means anything the devil can throw in your pathway. Yet amid all these things were more than conquerors. And he wrote a word called Hooper Nike. And it means super overcomer. That's who you are in Christ. A super overcomer. Wonder what that means. It means you nearly overshot the victory line. <laughs> you don't barely win. I mean, you go over the top. Aren't you glad? You don't feel that way, but that's the way you are. God looks at you as a super overcomer. I don't want us to be stuck in not understanding our identity. Wow. I may talk about a guy in the next service. The Lord called him a victorious, unstoppable warrior. And he goes, no, you must be mistaken. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh is the smallest tribe in all of Israel. And besides that, my family is the weakest family in all the tribes of Manasseh. And besides that, I'm the wussiest one in my whole family. <laughs> That's what he said. And God had just got through telling him, you're a victorious, unstoppable warrior. Matter of fact, God named his name Gideon. Gideon. Gideon is a Hebrew word that means feller, F-E-L-L-E-R. And it comes from a warrior with a sword, enemy running towards him, and he goes, whoosh, one piece falls here and one piece falls here. That's Gideon's name. Unstoppable warrior that cuts the enemy in half. All, every time his dad called him, that's, what, that's the word going out, but he never believed it. Even after God appeared to him and said, you're a victorious, unstoppable warrior, he came up with that little rant. Nah, nah. But I'll show you what changed his opinion of himself. Did you know the enemy knows more about you than you know about yourself? You can find that in the story of Gideon. Remember, God told him, said, Gideon, get one of your buddies and go down and listen to what the enemy thinks about you. So he gets a guy named Pura, which means ornament. Aren't you glad God sends people alongside of us that make us look better? 
that's what his name means. One alongside that makes you look better. So he takes his buddy down to the enemy's camp. This is Gideon, Judges chapter 6 and 7. And he carries him down there to the enemy's camp. And the enemy is there, and they're hidden in the bushes, Gideon and his buddy. And the enemies are they're talking over the campfire. And one, one of them goes, dude. Well, maybe not dude, but uh, <laughs> I had a dream last night. What was it, man? I dreamed that a big loaf of bread was up on the mountain and it started rolling and it rolled all the way down and smashed all of our tents. Now Gideon and his buddies laying over there in the weeds listening and guess what the enemy says? I saw a big loaf of bread rolling down off the mountain it crushed all of our tents and the enemy said, good God, that's nothing else but the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Wow. Wow. How'd you like to be Gideon laying in the weeds and hear that? The enemy already knows you've whipped them. Isn't that something? Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but what to do when you don't know what to do. So Jehoshaphat and his team, they put their focus on God. They obeyed the prophetic strategy. They did something that had not been done before, but it worked because God leads. And where God leads, he always directs. And so it's wonderful. They won the battle and they won the victory and everything worked out good. So that's the one, what to do when you don't know what to do. So let's recap it. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You get serious about seeking God. Get as many people together with you seeking the same uh, solution. Call all, all your friends together get them to pray. Get all your people you can interceding. And the Bible said if any two of us agree, they'll, God will give it to us. But anyway, begin to seek God with all your heart. And then follow what God asks you to do. Even if it's one of those new things. Say, well, God, I don't understand it. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust you for it. And watch out happens. Uh, wow. I've seen God ask for things, ask you to do things that was, you, you didn't want to do it. I'm in Tyler, Texas. One time God said, go to Turkey. I'll speak to you. I said, oh, God, speak to me in Tyler. He said, nope, go to Turkey. I'll speak to you. Had to buy me a plane ticket. Off to Turkey we go. You better obey God. I'm telling you, no matter what he says to you, do it. Remember Abraham, he said, go look for a city whose builder and maker is God. No strategy other than go look. No GPS coordinates, you know, just go. When God will direct you if you'll follow him. You believe that? We ought to follow the Lord. He's the only one who knows where we're going. The rest of us mixed up as a termite and a yo-yo. You know. But anyway, what to do now? Let's talk about this just for a moment. You remember we talked about uh, thinking that we were self-sufficient and we had all this thing figured out. Let's look at some guys. Psalms 107, verse 23. I'll give you a moment to find it. Psalms 107, verse 23. Here's how it starts. These men that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord. That's what it says. Now, so what have we got so far? We've got a group of sailors who are seasoned sailors. Look at them now. These guys go out on a boat. The boats back then were not like they are now. They had to either hoist sails or row, and these are seasoned sailors, these men that do business in great waters. So they're used to being in the wind, the waves, the water, and there they are, Psalms 107, verse 23. I'm sure when they got on the boat that day, they thought this is a mundane day. This is a day like every day. We'll go do our stuff. Everything will be okay. But they go out. And it says, these men that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord. 
because he, the Lord, raises up the stormy winds. The stormy winds lift up the boat as high as the heavens, drop it down as low as the depths, and it said the, the ship is just rocking like this, extreme turbulence. And it said this, these seasoned sailors, they stagger to and fro, and then they come to a phrase. You better memorize it. They stagger to and fro like drunken men, and they are at their wit's end. At their wit's end. Have you ever been there? I promise you it's a journey every one of us in this room have to take. We have to get to a point where we're at our wit's end. Now, what does that little phrase mean? It means they've expelled, expended, expired every bit of their expertise. Everything they were trained to do wasn't working. They're at their wit's end. As far as they know, their boat's going to capsize, they're going to drown out in the ocean. They stagger to and fro, they're at their wit's end. Wow. But you have to roll the clock back. Who started this storm? Who did? God did. Now, God wants to help us, not hurt us. Anything He does in our life is to make us better, not bitter, to help us. He doesn't want to hurt us. So He started this big storm to get these guys to a point to where they really realize they need Him. You remember that word I said was paramount in the last one in Second Chronicles twenty twelve. Then, the prophet spoke, it says in this one, then these seasoned sailors begin to cry out to the Lord in their distress. Wow. Do you believe God knows how to put the pressure on till you really break? I'm telling you, a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. But I'll tell you what he does despise, pride and arrogance. It's a stench in its nostrils. Wow. Pride and arrogance. Wow. So these guys are broken. Then they cried unto the Lord in their distress. Remember what does the word cry mean? Screamed and screeched in anguish and agony. I mean, they're not going, Oh, God, if you could, dude, would you give us a little hand here, please? No. They're on their face screaming and crying out to God. Wow. Then it says, Then the Lord heard them and stopped the storm and brought them into the desired haven. Oh, that men would praise God for His goodness. See, God puts dilemmas in our life to get us through them so we'll be a witness of God's goodness. Do you believe we ought to be talking about the goodness of God? One time a pastor challenged me. He said, I don't think you ought to spend so much time talking about the miraculous and the supernatural. So I began to study the Bible. There is hundreds of verses in the Bible that said, One generation shall laud and applaud the mighty deeds of God to the next one. It said, We shall speak often of His mighty deeds. Yes, we're to talk, tell every good thing we know about God. Constantly applauding and lauding God. And in Psalms 145, it says one generation will spend the rest of their time telling the next generation God is everything He said He is. Wow. I like that, don't you? It said they'll speak often of His mighty deeds. One thing I found out, if you'll talk about miracles, you'll get them. Yeah. You'll talk about them. Rehearse them back and forth. Bible says God writes your name if you talk about him a lot. Write your name in the book of remembrance. That's what it says. Talk about God's books. You want to hear this? Yes, Bobby. <laughs> Psalms 139. The Bible says in verse 16 and 17, all of our days are written in his book before we've ever lived a single one of them. All of our days 
What is this? Today is what? 17th? December the 17th, 2017. Somewhere in eternity past, God picked up a pen and wrote that you'd be sitting in that chair here in New Covenant Church this day. That's what it said. All of our days are written in His book before we've ever lived a single one of them. Wow. Wow. Here's the crux of the matter. You ready? The successful life is this. The successful life is we make His journal our journey. We make His journal our journey. What He's written about us, we seek Him till He reveals His will for us for that day, and then we follow it out. All of our days. You say, oh, no, 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 brother. I made up my mind I'm coming to this service. No, you're divinely coerced. You're here by divine design. That's what it says. The next verse says, in that verse of Psalms 139, it says, God's thoughts toward us are weighty and precious. The word weighty is the same word for glorious. Heavy. Substance. God thinks glorious thoughts about us, and the rest of that verse is, they're more numerous than the sands on the seashore. Wow. See, the devil will say to you, you're so insignificant, God don't even think about you. That's a lie. God constantly, continually thinks glorious thoughts about you. Psalms 139, verse 16, 17, and 18. Wow. Wow. Aren't you glad? He thinks glorious thoughts about you. Isn't it Jeremiah 29, 11? I know my thoughts I think towards you, declares the Lord. I'm glad He thinks about us. What we need to do is ask Him what He thinks about us. And He'll tell you. He calls you His special jewels in the book of Malachi. Wow. Have you... In the book of Peter, it says, We're not redeemed with corruptible things such as gold and silver from our vain, empty lifestyle, but with the precious blood of Christ. You look up the Greek word precious, we don't even have a word for it. It's a word that means incalculable. What does that mean, incalculable? So valuable, you can't put a value on it. That's the, blood, the price of the blood of Jesus. So valuable, you can't attach value to it. That's how precious you are to God that He would send His only Son to sacrifice for our sins. Wow. And the precious blood, the incalculable blood of Jesus. Wow. So when the devil begins to try to belittle you, you go, no. I am bought with a price. A price that is beyond comparison to wealth. Aren't you glad? God really thinks a lot about you. Now, just think about this. God wants to spend eternities with you. I can get tired of people in two or three days. <laughs> but he wants to spend eternities with us. That's amazing, isn't it? Let's think about God just for a moment. He knows every bad thing we've ever done and still loves us. Your friends won't. They find out some dirt, they'll distance themselves. But watch this. When God sees you struggling, he draws near. You know why? He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Wow. Aren't you glad? Well, anyway, we've got to do something about this love, haven't we? I'll tell you what we've got to do. We've got to do what it says in the book of Revelation. We've got to repent because we've abandoned our first love. The greatest need in the body of Christ that I can dis discern is we need recalibration. Say it, recalibrate. recalibrate. We need recalibration. I looked up the word recalibrate. It means return back to the original point of accuracy. The church needs to return back to first love. Remember he says in the book of Revelation, this I have against you, you've abandoned your first love. Remember from whence you've fallen, repent, and return back to first love. 
I want us to get back to first love, don't you? Yes. yes. God hadn't left us, we left Him. We've got to get back, hadn't we? First love. I want us to get back to just radical, unabandoned first love. Remember how it was when you first got saved? You couldn't keep quiet about Jesus. But now somehow we've learned to build a little buffer zone and kind of know how to... Listen, let's tear down the walls. You want to? Do you know it doesn't take much insulation to stop a process? I get up some mornings and pour boiling water in my hand and walk out the door with it. Styrofoam cup. See, it don't take much insulation to stop a process. A church door works fine. Keeping the message inside the church is one of the worst things that can happen to a denomination. We've got to get out in the street. We've got to get the message outside the four walls. We can't keep it in a styrofoam cup, can we? It loses the process. We've got to... What made Jesus, I think, so successful was Matthew, what, uh, 4.23? He went about doing good. He went about. He got the message outside the four walls into the marketplace. Guys, we've got to quit fishing on the freeway. That's not where fish are. We've got to quit fishing in the aquarium. We've got to be fishers of men. We better chunk what they're biting and fish where they're schooling. We've got to get around lost people. We isolate ourselves from them, don't we? We don't like the way they talk. We don't like the way their mannerism is. Well, they're lost. They don't know how to act. They act like their daddy, the devil. So what you and I have got to do is love them past what they're acting like. You're not going to catch the fish already saran wrapped and flayed. They're going to be floppy and stinky. Wow. I go out to California to one of the places out there, and it's just gang-ridden. Gangs everywhere. And I'll go out to where them gangs are at. Good gracious. They think they can buffalo you, but see, when they realize you ain't one bit afraid of them, you know, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. First John 4, 4. Superior in power and intellect is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I mean, you're on top of this thing before it ever starts. You understand that? Well, anyway, it's pretty good. Let me tell you about Miss Davis. We, we, got, we got maybe 10, 10 minutes here. In 1991, Paul Keith Davis, I, I'd never met him then. Uh, I met him on, in 1991. Um, he and I went, we, well, I was on a Benny Hinn thing, and Paul Keith was a businessman from uh, Mississippi, and he came to that uh, thing in Israel that me and that we were doing over there with Benny Hand, And anyway, in that time, in 1991, there was a little old lady. When we met her, she was 101. And her daughter was 70-something years old on the trip. And Miss Davis, she was a little black, she was a slave. She told me out of her own mouth, she said, I was a little slave girl over there in Mississippi. She said, I had no parents. I'm a slave girl out in a cotton field in the middle of Mississippi. said, it was raining so hard you couldn't see nothing. said, I looked, though, it wasn't raining on me. Twelve-year-old little slave girl in Mississippi. She said, I looked coming from the east in the field and said, a man walked up in a white robe. Jesus came to see a little slave girl in Mississippi. And now I'm meeting her over there in Israel. And uh, anyway... Sweetest thing you've ever seen in your life. Little old bitty thing about just a little old bitty wisp. We're walking down the Via Della Rosa, and it's a narrow place. You do not cars are not supposed to be on it. And Paul Keith is a real gentleman, so he's escorting this little black lady, Miss Miss Davis. He's got her on on his arm, and she's real frail. And we're coming down the Via Della Rosa, and we have to walk slow because we got Miss Davis with us. 
And Miss Davis gets nearly uh, uh, halfway down. She turns to Paul, Keith, and me and says, Mm-mm, me don't think me going to make it. I need the cab. When she uttered those words, I need the cab, you hear a horn honking up at the top of Via Della Rosa, and here it comes. It's pulling on the walk, out and pulling by the shops, pulls right up to us, rolls down the window, says, anybody need a cab? That, that's the kind of power this little lady had. But I'm getting to something. She was a member of a church out in L.A., and the gangs began to move in, and they would rob the people coming out of church, snatch their purses, and, and L.A. police could not stop them. Guess who the church called? Miss Davis. 102 years old. She goes out to the gang member. Come with us. They, they're all around the streets. They just, they, the police just kind of turned that region over to them. And uh, they'd been robbing the people. So anyway, they called Miss Davis. She goes out there to confront the gang member. She's a little taller in the pulpit, not much. And here she walks up there to him. She says, you know... Jesus is my very best friend. He'll do anything I ask him to do. If I ask him to kill you right now, he will. Guess what? Gangs left, no more problem. A 102-year-old woman did what the police couldn't. Drove off the gangs. She meant it. God would have toasted this guy right there. Wow. Scared, the, scared him. Anyway. Miss <laughs> Davis, bless her heart, she used to call me. And she'd say, mm, you my pastor. I said, no, ma'am, it's the other way around. She was really, really precious. 105 years old, she called me. She said, mm, I want you to pray for me that I'll go home. I said, well, Miss Davis, you may be the only person standing between the judgment of God and Southern California. And here's what she said. Mm, he better get somebody else. <laughs> I'm ready to go home. So she, she got to go home. But isn't that something? You're never too, it's never too late to be a warrior. She had a warrior's heart. I'll tell you another story about me and how, you know, how uh, I'm off down in Belize years ago. Uh, my older son, he's 51 now, and he was 16 then. But I'm off down there uh, doing missionary work. And I'm with a, one of the Southern Baptist missionaries there, and she's just a little old grandmother like that, just a little gray-haired and that's when the Rastafarians were really radical there. They hated anybody white. And me and the lady are driving down a little uh, alleyway in a town in Belize. And uh, this was years ago. And uh, the Rastafarians, are, they just surrounded the car, brought us to a screeching halt. And they're rocking the car. And listen, they speak English, cussing like you couldn't imagine. I'm looking for a tar tool or something under the seat to get out and handle this situation. And here's the little missionary. She said, I suppose prayer will work better. You know? <laughs> so she starts praying in tongues and run them all off. I was going to get me a tar tool and knock the fuzz off of them. You know? See, prayer works better, doesn't it? The Bible says the anger of man does not work, the, the wrath of man does not work the will of God. But anyway, so I've learned prayer works better. Anyway, so what to do when you don't know what to do? Do like these guys did, cry out to God. What to do when you don't want to do nothing? Remember in 1 Samuel, it talks about David coming back to Ziglag. All his house is burned, all his fortune's gone. And it says they fall on the ground, they weep, and they cry out till there's no more sound in their voice. And then here's what it says. It says David's men rise up to stone him. Now if there's ever a time to quit and give up, that would be a time, wouldn't it? 
The very men you've led faithfully are ready to stone you now because their hearts are so broken. And here's what it says. It says, David gets up and he encourages himself in the Lord his God. What to do when you don't know what to do. Do like these guys did, trust the Lord. What to do when you don't feel like doing nothing. It says, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now here's what I suspect. I'm glad God doesn't give us seven principles David did. We'd be in legalism before night. I suspect God did what David did what he wrote in his Bible, in the Bible. I believe that he offered a sacrifice of praise. Why is it a sacrifice? When you need to do it most, you feel like it the least. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I believe he did that. I believe he lifted his eyes and began to praise God. And then I believe this. It says David encouraged himself in the Lord his God, and then he inquired of the Lord. He asked God some straight, pointed questions. Here's what he asked. Shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? Shall I recover? See, God's not afraid of our straight questions. He gave him straight, pointed answers, and he always does more than we ask. He said, you shall pursue, you shall overtake, and you shall recover it all. Wow. Wow. And David did, pursued, overtook, and recovered it all. So guys, I'm glad of that, aren't you? See, a lot of people, they will encourage themselves. They'll inquire of the Lord. God will give them strategy, but they never implement the engaging the enemy. He pursued the enemy. If you sit by idle, the devil will steal everything God wants to give you. We've got to be more militant when it comes to spiritual warfare. The Bible said the kingdom of heaven does what? Suffers violent. The violent sees it by force. Not bombs and bullets. That's ISIS. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons we need is Bible study, prayer, fasting, holy living. And that's the weapons that pull down these strongholds. You believe it? So that's what we've got to start doing. We've got to take more serious this warfare that we're in. The devil would, if he could, kill every one of us in this room this morning. John 10.10 10 said the devil comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not changed his MO one iota. But you know what? Because of the blood of Jesus, he can't harm one hair of her head. That's neat, isn't it? Wow. Wow. The devil just don't want you to know who you really are. I'll give you one other verse and we're through. We need to know who we are. If you don't get anything else in this message, get this. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now, that means present moment, now are we ambassadors for Christ. That's who you are right now sitting in that chair. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible identifies you. Now are we ambassadors for Christ. And the word ambassador, I looked it up and it means this. A senior representative sent out with authority. I don't know about you, but if I am an ambassador sent out with authority, I got a question beaming over here. How much authority do I have? Answer is the same amount as the one that sent me. Now, how much authority does Jesus have? Matthew, what, 28, 18? All power, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. That'll cover any place you and I need to roam. So anyway, say, I'm covered. We need to understand we're ambassadors for God. You stand for Him, He stands for you, and you're victorious. Yeah. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against us works. Aren't you glad the devil's shooting blanks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Remember old Barney Fife? He had a gun but no bullet. That's sort of the way the devil is. He don't have a bullet until you give him one. All of this runs in our family. Whoa. We have to watch out because the power of death and life is somewhere. Oh, in our tongue. 
we got to watch out about what we say because the devil listens. What happens is he just talks to you till you listen. That's how he did Adam and Eve. See, the devil never changes his method of operation. He just talked until they listened. And he always uses the same tactics. Get you to disbelieve what God told you. Hath God said. Remember, that's what he said. Hath God said. And he's still saying it. The answer is yes. When God says it, it that's the way it is. We live in a world that seems like they don't want any absolutes. The absolute, absolute is the Word of God. Forever, O God, thy Word is settled in heaven. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. It's the only absolute, absolute. So you can put your whole confidence in the Word of God. Listen, you are, aren't you? And it says, having not seen Him, yet we love Him and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you can get that happy here, just think it's what it's going to be when we get with him. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, don't you? Rick Jordan asked me one time, said, Bobby, why do you always talk to yourself about yourself in the plural? Because I'm never alone. When I say we, me, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. He's with you. And you need to start practicing his presence. You don't even hardly believe it, but angels are with you all the time. Yeah. Most of us in this room would be dead, mangled, really hurt if it hadn't been for angelic involvement. Most of the time we don't even know it's them. Wow. Psalms, what is it, 9111? The angels of God encamp around about us. Angels are mentioned 273 times in the Bible. The Bible teaches you've got an angel who looks just like you. Isn't that something? Some are going, what did I do to deserve this? No, 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 that's, that's not, no they're, they're happy with their lot, the ones that serve God. The ones that didn't are not very happy right now. They hate you with a vengeance you can't even imagine. You know why they hate you? Because God loves you. But I'm telling you what, he has not shed his love on us for, for naught. You're precious, and God has a very good plan for you. So my advice to you is when you don't know what to do, just seek him, turn your face to him. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. That's where the battlefield is, isn't your mind, isn't it? What do we got to do now? Have you ever been trying to study the Bible and you'll go, oh, man, is the yard sprinkler still on or something like that? Some crazy thing that don't mean nothing. That's the devil trying to interfere and get your attention off of the Word of God. But you've got to force your attention back on the Word of God. And you, the Bible talks about dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Every one of us ought to have a secret place, a place where we really meet with God. It could be a room in your house. It could be in your pickup truck. It could be at the dish, dish what do you call this, sink? The sink. I don't know what. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, find a place where you can fellowship with God. I like outdoors, don't you? I love to hear the birds and stuff like that. It, listen. It sounds crazy, but I've had birds light on me. Yeah, really. I went out to feed. We live in Moravian Falls, and sometimes it's, we feed the birds there. And so I'm carrying a bucket of feed around to feed the birds, and all of them flew off. It scared them. But I had the saddest feeling in my heart because they saw me as a predator, not a benefactor. I'm coming to feed them, and it startled them. They all flew off except one. He's in a tree not quite as tall as this, this roof, and he's, he's up there, and he's sitting on the bark looking at me. And I'm a grown man. I'm 74 years old. And this, this, I spoke to this bird with my mouth. 
I said, tell them I meant them no harm. I'm talking about the birds. The bird goes, so help me God. All the birds flew back out of the woods, and some are landing on me. Some are landing on the limbs this close to me. My heart's going, I'm not afraid of the birds. This is supernatural. And I'm telling you, nature knows more about the kingdom of God than you and I. The whole creation is groaning and flailing, wanting us to step out of our stupor and understand that we're to be the manifested sons of God. Yes. Romans 8, 19. Well, let's pray. We've got to get ready for the next service. Father, I want to thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that when we're uh, trapped in situations and circumstances that seem, seem unsurmountable, that you're there. You get us in, in and out of all dilemmas. And Lord, I want to thank you that you will bring us all the way through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. Lord, I want to thank you. Whatever circumstance we're in, there you are, right in the midst of where we are. And we thank you that you're going to get us through it and we'll give you glory for it. I bless what you're doing. We thank you that you're a good, good God. Thank you that your plans are perfect and you're for us, not against us. So Holy Spirit of God, give us courage, give us confidence that whatever God leads us into, we're going to come out victorious. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.